Everybody and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty reporting from sunny and warm and beautiful downtown Denver today. And I've got my partner up in Chicago, Larry Mishkin. How you, Larry? How you doing? Jim, always a pleasure to talk with you. It's also sunny and beautiful in Chicago. Over the weekend, it got a little bit chilly, um, which, although otherwise pleasant, only became a concern because, and I, I just don't know how else to say this without jumping up and down, but. I saw live music on Sunday, and it was absolutely wonderful. We, we had a chance to go see Trampled by Turtles, and they were playing at an outdoor drive-in theater in McHenry County, Illinois, which was like an hour away down all these little side roads. I hadn't been into a drive-in in, in forever, and you, you pulled into a stall, and then the they only parked the cars every other stall. And then you got to use your your car space plus the stall to the right to set up your lawn chairs or do whatever. So there was nobody around us. Uh, they had a, a, the band up on the stage right in front of the, the big screen. They had two screens set up on the side so everybody could watch them. And they came out and it was live music. And the only thing was chilly. We all had to wear sweatshirts. We were laughing about they finally get live music and the temperature drops and now it's back up. But I got to tell you, Jim, it was just food for the soul to be able to sit there and, and have live music. And and, and I've, everybody's told me about Trampled by Turtles. I'd never seen them before. I, I hadn't really listened to a lot of them. Uh, they were great. They came out. I have to tell you, they played a killer, killer version of uh, Keep Me in Your Heart, a Warren Zevon tune that I'm particularly fond of. And was very gratified to hear that. It's always nice to get a good cover in. Um but yeah, live music. It was you, you. You can't understand how much you miss it until you're sitting there and you're seeing it, and you're like, "Wow, this is the real deal." So I know the feeling. Yeah, we a couple of weeks ago, I got to my first show in a long time with uh, one of our local favorites, Dead Fish Orchestra, played outside up in Longmont. Love that. Whibby's, Whibby's ta- um, Brewery. I'll plug them a little bit. And this weekend, we're actually going to have shows at Red Rocks. Uh, Big Head Todd is doing. Uh, Two shows a night, uh, I think Friday and Saturday shows at 5.30 and 8.30. Uh, it's a little on the expensive side, $165, and they're only going to allow about 25% capacity. So that would be about 2,000 to 2,500 people. Well, you'll have a lot of room. But the, it's Red Rocks is getting going again. They've had a couple of symphony shows up there in the last couple of weeks as well. So um, that's what's going on here in Colorado. Okay. Um uh, well, let me fill you in on this because, for God's sakes, we've been following this story ever since it first started. Uh, as you know, Jim, we've talked about that uh, here in Illinois for the adult use dispensary licenses, uh, there was a bunch of ties. Every region had a tie because they had a certain number of perfect scores. Uh, the people who didn't get perfect scores immediately started filing lawsuits, uh, injunction proceedings, everything under the sun. Uh, and after the governor said repeatedly that there was nothing in the act that would allow him to change the results in any way, uh, he uh, capitulated and announced yesterday 
uh, some clearly undefined system that they're still working on uh, by which anyone who did not get a perfect score is going to get a second deficiency notice from the state pointing out specifically where in their application they lost points and why. And then they will all be given a chance to satisfy the deficiency notices and send them back in. Of course, what we see is that it, it, it doesn't make any sense unless you're going to tell people, oh, good, you did correct it. So now we're just going to double the number of perfect scores, double the number of people who have uh, you know, their, their names in the hat that they're drawing. But worst of all, they're going to have to figure out how to put these rules together because they don't exist yet. There's going to have to be rulemaking and all this other stuff that they didn't do in the original bill, which is why we have the problem here. And then once they have that worked out, they're going to have to go through each application and prepare all of these notices, send out the notices to everyone, give the recipients of the notices time to respond, and then take time to grade those responses and, and incorporate them back into the score. We could be looking at another four or five months here. Today was the day they were supposed to be having the tiebreaker draw, and now this is happening. So I, I, know, I can't hmm. even tell you. Now, will this slow down the um, opening of the people who did win? Who Nobody's won. You know, in, in, in my position, um, my client is in the tiebreaker, like a number of other people are in the tiebreaker. Um, but today was the day they were going to actually draw the names out of the hat. That was put on hold last night when this new plan appeared out of nowhere. And now all the lawsuits have been dismissed. And we're going to go forward with this new undefined plan, uh, which means that as far as I can tell, the earliest we could hope to have any of these new dispensaries up and running is now going to be sometime by the middle of next year, if not longer out than that. Oh, my goodness. And yep. what, a, what a shame. So It is. It's very disappointing. We still are awaiting the announcements of the craft grow and those announcement dates – my understanding is they're now getting pushed back because they want to work through this mess first before they make those announcements. Wow. Well, meanwhile, in Colorado, our record sales continue um, over 200 million in July. So that's annualized at 2.4 billion. So the Colorado cannabis uh, industry is, is thriving. Um, we've seen very strong wholesale prices. Um, anywhere from 1200 up to $2,000 a pound, sometimes more. Wow. Okay. We'll see what happens in the next few weeks as they call it uh, Croptober. Yes, I get that. As our outdoor crop comes in, we'll see what happens. Very so, good. Um, as long as we're talking about that kind of stuff, did you happen to see what, what did, or probably better said, what did not happen in Washington, D.C. last week? involving the MORE, M-O-R-E Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, which was basically, in essence, going to legalize marijuana on the federal level. Um, and it had popular support in the House, uh, but it's been the vote on it has now been postponed because too many of the House members did not want to vote on it before the election. Yeah, I, I did see that, and the Republicans were all ready to vote for it. I saw that, too. I saw that too. And I was very surprised that that vote didn't take place and very disappointed. Um, you know, cause you and I have long talked about the fact that, you know, in order for marijuana to be effective in this country on a legal basis, you know, it has to go beyond partisan politics. And for the most part it has. Um, and that's been a good thing where we've had, uh, certainly a, a large number of Republican senators who have been involved in, in uh, uh, federal marijuana legislation, 
uh, democratic people as well. And, you know, the goal is to get it passed so that we can have it legalized uh, in some manner uh, so that we can at least get the basic services that we need so it can run like a regular industry. Yes. And as I've said many times and was quoted in the press in the last week or so, be careful. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. This is true. Legalization could crush the industry as we know it with big all big tobacco coming in, big pharma. So not to mention we then fall under the jurisdiction of every regulatory agency in the world. Yeah. So alphabet soup of regulatory agencies. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, I you know, I definitely want to see something happen at the federal level, but it has to be very carefully crafted. Or we'll be down to Miller and Budweiser and beer. And we're down to Marlboros and Winstons and cigarettes. So Not a lot of choice there. Yeah, could happen in this industry. But, you know, out of respect for the uh, time of our, our special guests. Yes. Why don't we switch over and do that part of it? I agree. And then we have some uh, Grateful Dead updates of a, a new film coming out called um, The Cool Colorado Rain. Oh, very nice. Yes. And it's uh, about it chronicles all of the Grateful Dead shows in Colorado, which I saw many of, wow. and I think our guest might and I might have been at some of the, those shows together, not knowing each other at the time, but we were just in the same venue at the same time as all. That's the way it always is with deadheads when you meet them down the road. So let me introduce Stu Sallow. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. Excellent. And he's joining us from Boulder, Colorado. Uh, he's a journalist. He has a, a, a newspaper over there. And um, he's got some hobbies and some books that he writes. Um, so, Stu, go ahead and jump in wherever you want to. Um, I know you've got a lot of great stories for us. Well, actually, uh, I don't know if we've been at any of the same Dead shows in Colorado. I did see the Dead at McNichols Arena in 93, sorry, 92, right after I moved to Colorado. But but I lived in the Central California area, in mostly in Santa Cruz, uh, from 75 to 92. And that's where I saw most of my Grateful Dead shows. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. And yes, um, I was at that McNichols show, so. <laughs> okay. All right. We were at least one show, and we were at least the same room at least once. And uh, did you get out to the Vegas shows at all, the Silver Bowl? No. I, you know that I, I, I think I was spoiled living in Central California because I didn't really have to travel to to see the dead. They played they played there so often. Um, probably my favorite venue, um, well, long term venue. I, I I I would probably have to say Winterland all time favorite venue, but that closed in '78 and. And, uh, and, and then, you know, after that, probably the Frost Amphitheater at uh, Stanford University was a place where I saw 10 dead shows and uh, out of the 14 that they played there. And uh, that was just a wonderful venue. And, uh, but I've, I've, I've seen the dead at, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 places in, in, in California. Sure. And, and, uh, and then, you know, of course, now uh, in Colorado, since I've been here, I've been seeing all of the off the offshoot bands of the dead and and uh have have enjoyed have enjoyed them mostly with uh as with some sadness uh at the loss of jerry of course absolutely um 
So, Stu, let me ask you this. Uh, um, obviously, uh, you know, we, we know that you uh, own and publish the Boulder Weekly, uh, and we can circle back to that in a minute. Uh, there's always interesting things there. Um, but where I think you really appeal to our listener base uh, on this show, and what I really want to talk about is your dedication uh, to the art of riding uh, bicycles, um, which you were explaining to us as part of your late-in-life uh, uh, fitness uh, fitness program, which we'll want to hear about. But what, what, of course, is especially appealing to, to Jim and I and a lot of our listeners is the fact that uh, throughout all of this uh, bike riding and everything else, you're constantly inspired uh, by listening to music by the Grateful dead which of course is what this show is all about right well as i like to say the grateful dead has been the soundtrack of my life since 1973 that's great and there have been times when i tried to get into other music and i have a variety of musical tastes running from bluegrass to classic rock uh, to jazz. I mean, I like, I, I, I'm a musician myself. I play in a band here in uh, Boulder called Hindsight Classic Rock. And, uh, you know, during normal times, we play 12 to 15 paid gigs a year. Uh, it's all classic rock cover stuff. Some of it's Grateful Dead, although I, I sometimes I have a hard time tricking my bandmates into playing Grateful Dead tunes. <laughs> uh, a, a good example is... Um, uh, is Bertha. Mm -hmm. They'd heard, they'd heard Bertha by uh, Los Lobos. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, you know, I got them to do Bertha thinking they were doing a Los Lobos cover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what instrument do you play? I, I play uh, rhythm guitar and sing. Nice. Yeah. Lovely. Anyway. Uh, but, but really the foundation of, of my uh, musical uh, enjoyment has, has, and will always be the Grateful Dead. And I think, you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. But as I've been writing, uh, my blog, which will be a book at some point called the Deadhead Cyclist, I realized that what I love the most about the Grateful Dead is the poetry of the Grateful Dead. There are so many incredible lyrics, uh, that, can be interpreted in a variety of different ways and are thought provoking and that speak to the, the principles that I believe life should be lived by that really inspire me uh, to think about, think about life and to put it into words and present that in uh, in my Deadhead Cyclist blog, which is um, which anyone can check out online at deadheadcyclist.com. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you one example. Uh, the current post right now, the most recent post that's up right now, uh, features each of these posts features a uh, this week in Grateful Dead history concert pick. And so for the week of September 14th, which is last week, I haven't done this week's yet. And I can tell you about that one because I have it planned. I just haven't written it out yet. Uh, but for the week of September 14th, the Grateful Dead concert of the week is uh, September 20th, 1982. And, and during that show, during that tour in the fall of 82, they... Um, they brought out for the first time the song Throwing Stones. 
in, in this September 20th show uh, was the third time that they performed that, that tune. And as I was listening to that tune while riding my mountain bike through the foothills of Colorado here near my house, the line came to me, if the, if the spirit's sleeping, then the flesh is ink. What does that mean? You know, I've, I've, always, I've, I've always been enamored of that line, but I've never really given it a lot of thought exactly what that means. And so I featured that in my latest post, um, which once again is, uh, is available online for all to read at uh, deadheadcyclist.com. And you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give, I don't want to give it away. But that's the gist of the Deadhead Cyclist is, is picking a concert of the week, and riffing off of a lyric that, uh, that moves me, and that I hope moves other people to think about life and the principles under which you want to live your life to the fullest at any age, but particularly for me and for many of us a- aging deadheads, uh, it's, it's people who are approaching or have crossed the line and are north of 60, which I fit into that category. Well, Stu, I think that this is, this is great. And uh, in your, your answer, which is, is a great answer, you, you touched on two things um, uh, that Jim and I uh, regularly talk about and, and, and see. The first one is the lyrics. And we, we always talk about that the Grateful Dead is more than just music. And I know we all had a little talk about fish pregame and um, some of the differences. And, and I've always said that if, you know, if, if Trey had been blessed with a lyricist like Robert Hunter, who knows what he might have been able to do. Um, Good and, point. You know, and, and, you know, same with, and, you know, Jerry. And, and, and they're not songs. They're poetry that all mm-hmm. stand completely. You can enjoy them without any music at all. Right. Um, and then the magic is, is that Jerry, of course, brought all this beautiful music to it, but it's the lyrics of these songs and the stories that they tell that really reach in and, and entrance us all and, and, and bring us in, you know, closer to the flame. Yes. The second thing that you said that, that really resonates with us is your, your comment about how uh, the, the lyrics are words to live by and, and, you know, they can kind of almost create uh, um, uh, a basis for the type of life that you want to live. Not too long ago, we had on our show as a guest, uh, an attorney named Bob Hoban. Bob uh, is the head of the Hoban law group in uh, Denver. And I'm associated with that law firm and do a lot of work with Bob. Uh, Bob does a lot of public speaking and makes no bones about the fact that when he talks publicly, he likes to work Grateful Dead lyrics into his presentations. Mm -hmm. Just drop them in wherever they might fit and see if anybody in the room picks up on it. And, uh, and, and he does it, he says almost as, you know, like as a, as a, as a fishing test, who's out there, who's going to hear this and who's going to be thinking outside of the box enough to hear me say this and, and want to come talk with me. And that, you know, we talked about how for people, even in the corporate world, there's, there's a certain motto that you pick up in the dead world uh, that that's very applicable in corporate America and can really turn it into a place where, uh, you know, it can be a little more pleasant for the people who choose to participate in it. So I, I mm-hmm. particularly like that you, you touched on these themes in your answer. Yes. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't add uh, that John Perry Barlow also was a hell of a lyricist. Oh, and, 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 the, and the, right. The lyric, the lyric that I cited, if the spirit's sleeping, then the flesh is ink is to his credit. Yep, but I, yep. but I will say, and I have several by him in in the uh, in the posts that I've done so far. Uh, but but I will also say that uh, that I have a tendency to agree with Bill Kreutzmann that yeah. I like the Jerry songs uh, best, 
and the, and I think it's a lot mm-hmm. largely because of uh, of the beautiful poetry of Robert Hunter, who just left us uh, earlier this year. Absolutely, a, a tremendous loss. And we can talk a little more about the uh, you know fish Grateful Dead uh, interaction um, fairly well and all that. But before we head down that path, Stu, you talked about how. Uh, again, before the show, we were getting warmed up, how you feel like uh, the Grateful Dead, as well as your physical exercise, has kept you younger than your physical years. Right. What I want to say about that is that I, I, see, I see healthy living as a three-legged stool. If any one of those legs is not in place, the stool falls over. And those three legs are diet, exercise, and attitude. Now, we, we all know we all know what a healthy diet is, and uh, you know I I don't really need to talk too much about that, and I don't talk too much about that in my book really, other than to say that it's a, an important component of living well. Um, exercise is is super important. Staying active just makes a huge difference. I uh, I ride my bikes over two hundred times a year. It would be more if I didn't live in Colorado and there were times of year when I simply can't get out on my bike because there's snow on the ground or it's, you know, below 40 degrees, which is kind of my threshold. Uh, But I ride my bike virtually every day or my bikes, I should say. I have three bikes. I have a mountain bike, a road bike and a gravel bike. And I ride my bikes uh, virtually every day that I can. I also work out in a gym and I play over 100 games of baseball a year. And this is real baseball, not softball. This is hardball with bunting and stealing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I play uh, locally on three baseball teams here in the Denver area. And then I also travel for tournaments in uh, California, Nevada, Arizona, uh, South Dakota, and even Florida. And the big tournaments in the baseball, in the adult baseball community happen in Arizona and Florida in October and November. So I'm getting real psyched for those. And we were sure afraid uh, up until just recently that those tournaments weren't going to happen this year for obvious reasons. Uh, but they are going to go forward with those tournaments with certain protocols in place about uh, wearing masks to and from the stadium and, and you know, all, the whole, whole bunch of them that I, that I won't bore you with. But but. I really feel that exercise is one of the keys to living well at any age, but certainly as as you get into your 60s. If you've been exercising and working out and keeping yourself moving, you're going to have a completely different lifestyle in your 60s than than people who who as I as I like to say they've given up they've resigned themselves to the fact that they're getting old and that they can't do the things that they used to love doing anymore. And I just don't believe in living like that. And I'm a living example of not only continuing to do the things I I love to do, but doing them better and better and actually improving. Recently, a couple of years ago, I took up pitching and I hadn't pitched since I was uh, like 15 years old in Little League or, or Babe Ruth League or something. And I recently took up pitching and my pitching has been improving as I'm in my 60s. So there's no reason why you have to give up the things that you love doing when you, when you get to a certain age, but you do have to do your homework. You have, to, you have to stay in shape and you have to stay active. 
There's got that rotator cuff too. You got to be careful about. <laughs> well, there's there's always good old ibuprofen. Yes, there uh, is. So so, but the third the third leg of that stool, attitude, is really what pertains mostly to the Grateful Dead. And as I'm riding my bike through beautiful scenery, I'm almost always listening to a Grateful Dead concert, thanks to the, the miracle of relisten.net. Yes, isn't that great? And, yeah. And, um, and, in, and in fact, all of the concerts, all of my concerts of the week on the uh, Deadhead Cyclist are linked uh, back to relisten.net. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I promise to never charge them for uh, sending traffic their way because they, they, do, they do a hell of a job there. Maybe they'll reciprocate with me at some point. Sure. Um, but the attitude is a really important thing. And, you know, so for example, this week I'm working on, uh, on a piece that is, uh, let's see, it's based on the, this is a li- stepping out a little bit of my comfort zone because I have a tendency to uh, lean, have a bias towards 70s and 80s shows. And I rarely go into the 90s, but I happened to listen to the September 22nd, 1991 show. Um, I'm trying to remember now where, where, that show, where that show was. It's a little embarrassing that I can't remember, but you can, you'll be able to see it on my, on my blog this week, or you can look it up right now, September 22nd, um, 1991. And, uh, and there's, there's a beautiful version of brown-eyed women in that show. And the line that, that I decided to riff off of was the bottle was dusty, but the liquor was clean. So mm-hmm. as, as we get older, our, bod- our body gets dusty, okay? We don't look as pretty as we used to look, and things start to hurt a little bit. And we get up in the morning, and there's some kinks and maybe some sore muscles and things like that. But the liquor, the, the real, the essence of us is still clean. Okay, and that's that's a statement of attitude that I'm going to focus now. My my, uh, there's a saying: energy flows where your attention goes. I'm going to focus on the the liquor that's still clean, not the bottle that's gotten a little bit dusty. And that's my interpretation of of that particular line. And I like that interpretation. I think. Yeah. So that that's an example of the kind of. I, I, I don't mean to be egotistical when I say this, but the kind of wisdom that I'm offering in the deadhead cyclist, it's the kind of sure. wisdom that you really come to late in life. And within the context of riding my bike through beautiful scenery, which is, which is my religion, collides with my other religion, which is the Grateful Dead, and I get high off of that. Now, sometimes I am high on weed also when I'm doing this, but not always, especially in the morning, because I usually don't, you know, I usually ride my bike in the morning and then I go to work in the afternoon and I'm not, I'm not, I, I usually don't go to work high, but sometimes like on a weekend or on a day when I'm not working, I'll, I'll get high before I go for a ride. And that'll, that'll even, uh, that'll even amplify the, the creative process that, 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 that I get, that I get involved in. Um, but, but that's, that's the, the gist of how I come to some of this wisdom is by taking the, the poetry of the Grateful Dead, 
riffing off of it and adding my own personal wisdom in a way that I hope will inspire other people to live their best years in their 60s. That's that's fantastic. And I and I love the idea of attitude because I would certainly say that for a number of my friends and I and <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> taking to uh Debt and company is is like uh, developing a taste for anything. I think it's a it's a different experience, and and I certainly echo your sentiments about John Mayer. But it it, it took us a while. But ultimately, I think what what hauled us over the top was the idea that it gave us an opportunity to go to shows again, mm-hmm. and then to be with mm-hmm. everybody and right. to be back in that scene and to say, hey, look, I may be a you know a, a guy in my late fifties, you know, who's a who's a business attorney in, in Chicago, but I love the Grateful Dead and this is my world and this is these are my people. And it, it, although my wife will be the first one to point it out when I try to suggest otherwise, um, you know, uh, it, it certainly makes me feel like, at least mentally, if not physically, that I'm back in my mm-hmm. 20s and we're at Alpine Valley for the mm-hmm. first night of a four-night run and everybody, you know, just can't wait in the excitement and seeing people and, you know, blowing them shit about the stuff that we blew them shit about 30 or 40 years ago and, you know, it, it, it's really very, it, it, it's great. And I love it. Um, you also said something that I wanted to touch on and, and you, you answered it before I asked. And I was going to ask you, what was your favorite era for the dead? You said the seventies yeah. and the eighties, which I love the seventies and the eighties. I, I will say that, um, you know, if I, if I, when they did the fare thee well shows, I was upset that I missed the one in Santa Clara that was the late sixties show. That's the show that I really, mm-hmm. out of all of them, mm-hmm. That's live dead. I could listen. That's what pulled me into the dead. I could listen to live dead forever. Um, I, and- I wanted to make a quick comment about what you said earlier, and then I'll answer your question. And that sure. that comment is something that I wrote in one of the pieces that I wrote about the Fare Thee Well shows, which is uh, which was written for Boulder Weekly and picked up by the Huffington Post. It's called the Grateful Dead Fare Thee Well Report Card. It was written. It was a review. I wrote two things before the shows, and then I wrote one thing after. And what I said at the very end of that show was, it wasn't the Grateful Dead, but it was a Grateful Dead concert. And that's how I feel also about Dead & Company. It's not the Grateful Dead, but it is a Grateful Dead concert. I mean, there's Bill Walton standing in the middle of the crowd with his his arms up in the air. And and it has all of the trappings. Except, except for the respect for the music that used to cause people, this will provide a perfect segue into my answer to your next question. The, okay. the respect that people used to show uh, at, at, the, at the shows that I went to in my first shows in the 70s, mm-hmm. you could hear a pin drop in a, in a crowd of thousands of people when Jerry was singing Crazy Fingers, for example, you know, there was, there was, there was not a sound. You can listen to the June 17th, 1975 show from Winterland, which was the Bob Freed Memorial Boogie, which was not a Grateful Dead announced show. It was one of the four shows that the Grateful Dead played in 1975. It wasn't announced. It was, it was the, 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 the bill was the, the, the mirrors, Keith and Donna, Kingfish and Jerry Garcia and friends and Jerry Garcia and friends was rumored to be and turned out to be the Grateful Dead and 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 the Grateful Dead opened with crazy fingers and it was the first time ever played they were working on the blues for all blues for all album at that time no one had ever heard a, a lot of the material from that album was played at that show and no one had ever heard it before 
and you could you could hear a pin drop in in Winterland. There wasn't a sound to be heard. And this is on an audience tape that I'm talking about. Uh, that was the only tape of the of these shows that was available for a long time. It was recorded by a guy by the name of Rob Bertrando, who's done a lot of lot of taping for the dead. You can find his shows liberally on um, on Relisten. And even though he was in the middle of a crowd of thousands of people, he you could you could hear a pin drop. And nowadays, unfortunately you know, you want to turn around to people and say, sometimes you want to say, I'm sorry, is my concert interfering with your conversation? (laughs) You know, that's a difference. It's true. But I think that that's almost more generational. You know, I I see that a lot of places where people have trouble Mm -hmm. keeping quiet, but Mm -hmm. you know, the, unfortunately, while it's no longer an option, the answer always to that, as far as I was concerned, was just for Jerry to start playing morning dew. (laughs) And I found that as soon as he started to play morning dew, the whole world just stopped and focused, even a loud raucous crowd. We were up at Alpine of 1988, the last year they played there. And one of the best morning dews I ever heard, uh, only because I, you know, I wasn't around to hear Barton Hall in 77. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, he's up there playing this morning, doing the whole crowd is riveted on him. And what made it special was a deadhead actually climbed up onto the stage and right by on Jerry's side and probably got within about 15 feet of him and just stopped. He wasn't going to go any closer. Security didn't do a thing. They just let him do his thing. Mm-hmm. And he like just got down on his knees and was having a religious experience. <laughs> Jerry Garcia playing morning dew and the whole place was zero. Acid in, induced, no doubt. I very likely, <laughs> yeah. But you're but you're right. We we do get a lot of that, and you know you also get interesting comments. Jim's heard this story before, but I saw Dead and Company at Folsom two years ago, and we had uh, what I loved was the fact that the people there were of all different ages. You mm-hmm. know, they were twenty year olds still yeah. dressed like we dressed thirty years ago. Right. They were in it there. Kids behind us were young and they were talking the whole show and whatever. I wasn't going to, wasn't bothering me until they started playing Althea and the conversation was one kid to the other kid. Oh, I love this tune. Yeah, it's John Mayer's favorite tune. Listen to how great he plays it. He kills it. He always plays it so good. Oh, he's killing it. I think he plays it better than Jerry. Well, it could be. I mean, in, in many ways, John Mayer is a superior technical guitarist. You know? Yeah. And then I turned around no. and I said, Dick's picks number fifteen, uh-huh. disc one. Just yeah, go home. Listen well, to that. Well, and- you have to remember, Jerry invented this. Right. <laughs> you know, he gets a lot of credit for that. You know, I mean, you know, John Kadlicek did, did, did may may be a superior technical guitarist too, but he didn't yes. he didn't invent he didn't invent this stuff. You know, Jerry right. invented it, and that puts it in a whole different category. And, and I just wanted to add on uh, to what you said about multi-generational. Uh, that's something that's particularly impressive about the Grateful Dead, is the way that it transcends generations. I remember when I first learned about the Fare Thee Well shows, and uh, I, I dialed it up on my phone and I showed it to my then 25-year-old daughter, Julia. And she said, Dad, we have to go to this, you know, 25 years old. And I'm 60 at the time. And, you know, sure enough, you know, I took, I took her to Chicago and we went to those shows together. And, you know, there, 
it's it there's something about the grateful dead and again i think it lies in the in the in the poetry it lies in the movement i referred to this in my last in, in my last story on deadhead cyclist the grateful dead were a movement and it's a movement that is timeless and touches multiple generations and that's why you can see you know three generations at at some of these shows and it's incredibly gratifying to see that what what music from two generations earlier were we listening to when we were 25 years old you, you know it, it just it just didn't happen although you could you could you could say classical music um you know fits into that category but that fits into yeah. into a completely different category right. but i want to get back to to answering your question about my favorite era i don't want i don't want that to get lost Please. I did a series of I did a series of articles uh, for the Deadhead Cyclist on uh, in, in the 70, 77, uh, in the year seventy seven. Each year, in April of seventy seven, when it's the anniversary of that tour, I start listening to those shows one by one as I'm riding my bike. And it also happens to coincide with the time of year when I can get on my bike just about every day, so it works out pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, I have to say it's cliche to say this because if you lined up 100 deadheads and you asked them what their favorite year was, you'd probably get more people saying 77 than any other year. So, so it's a little bit cliche, but if it's true, it's true. Um, the dead were uh, in that sweet spot in 77 where they had an elegant balance of the raw foundational Grateful Dead and the polished Grateful Dead that came in, in the later years. Yep. And the recordings that were made of those 77 shows also were, a lot of them were Betty boards and they were, they were by Betty Cantor and they were terrific, uh, terrific recordings that really paid attention to every detail and made it possible for you to hear each musician and separate all the parts and hear all of the all of the different parts all at the same time. Uh, so, I don't know if '77 is an era. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of great shows from a lot of different years. As I just mentioned, I found one in '91 that was, you know, uh, that was tremendous, and it had you know Bruce Hornsby in it, and and Bruce and Vince were were both were both in that show, and Bruce was playing piano and accordion. And, you know, it was really a wonderful show from 91. Kind of surprised me because I, I typically don't listen to stuff after after 89. But but my favorite year is 77. And I guess I'd have to say my favorite era is the 70s. Okay. <clears throat> well, very good. Well, listen, um, I think we're running a little bit mm -hmm. long, but great conversation. I'm really enjoying it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Tell us more about your business as we close out this segment. Okay. Well, um, in 1990, I was in Santa Cruz. Uh, I, I went to UC Santa Cruz uh, from 75 to 77, graduated. And, uh, and after a couple of kind of dead-end jobs, uh, I had an opportunity to get into the advertising business. And I wound up having an opportunity shortly after that to become a publisher. And I bought a small uh, newspaper in Santa Cruz. And I cut my teeth as a publisher out there for 12 years. And a couple years before uh, the end of that run, I learned that there was no weekly, no alternative weekly newspaper in Boulder, Colorado, which shocked me because 
Boulder, Colorado is a college town, a progressive town, exactly the kind of town where a, an alternative weekly paper would, would be well received. And so all, so all systems were go to uh, uh, relocate to Colorado and start the Boulder Weekly. And, in, and on August 19th, 1993, the first edition of Boulder Weekly was published and it's been published every week since for 27 years now. Um, Boulder Weekly is unfortunately uh, one of a increasingly rare breed of media organizations that is dedicated to truth uh, and uh, uh, sticking up for the little guy, being the champion of the underdog and, uh, and being a, a mouthpiece for justice, regardless of how what we report affects the bottom line. The media is, is in a sad state right now, not just because of the way Trump refers to uh, fake news and all that, but because of the way it's been bought out by, by big corporations that attempt to control the content in a way that benefits uh, their business. And independent media is, is really where you want to look to find what the truth is and to, to, really, to really get unadulterated information that is not beholden to any corporate entity or any bottom line. Although we do have to make enough money to survive and it's become more difficult in the COVID era. Um, anyone who wants to uh, contribute to Boulder Weekly uh, you can go to our website, boulderweekly.com, and uh, there's, a, there's a little pop-up there that, uh, that gives you the opportunity to contribute. We've never done that before until, until COVID hit. COVID was a bit of a perfect storm uh, for uh, alternative news media because so much of our advertising comes from concert venues and arts and entertainment organizations, restaurants, and those kinds of things, and 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 that those industries have been been horribly hit by the virus, and you know so we're you know we're we're hanging in there uh, and and kind of waiting for this thing to blow over. But but anyway, that's all that's all available at boulderweekly.com. And I didn't want to turn this too much into a commercial uh, for Boulder Weekly, but I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. All very good. And we have run kind of long, so I think we should probably just sign out. But Larry, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Try to uh, watch this documentary called The Cool Colorado Rain. And it's a lot of Telluride 87 that I was at with um, my friends. 87 August was my biggest Grateful Dead experience ever. I saw five shows in six days. Red Rocks, day off on Friday, Saturday and Sunday in Telluride. So I'll tell you all about that on our next show. I will check it out. I'm looking forward to seeing this video. It just came out. Excellent. Thank you for the tip. Larry, take us home. I will, sir. Jim, as always, it's a pleasure. Always nice to catch up with you and talk about our two favorite subjects. Uh, our guest today was Stu Sallow from uh, Boulder. Stu, thank you again for taking the time to join us. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for your stories and for your insight, uh, which is all well-received and uh Part of what makes the dead world such a great place uh, to everybody else. I will say uh, so long. We'll see you next week. Stay healthy. Enjoy your marijuana responsibly and have a good week, everybody. Thank you. Over and out.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.